Welcome to The Vinyl Preacher, your weekly podcast where we talk about the Bible, make a playlist, and introduce ourselves. I'm Matt Cable, pastor at St. Mark's Lutheran Church and Campus Ministry here in Los Angeles, California, broadcasting from my office for the first time in 10 months. Matt, when you did your, your renovations, and by the way, listeners, this is an audio medium. I'm aware of that. Uh, and let me tell you, the office looks great. We got an accent wall I can see behind us. Matt doesn't get enough blue skies in Southern California, so he needs a wall about that color so that he doesn't forget that the sky exists. True. Uh, he's got a nice-looking glass door that the insurance company is going to be on, on board with. Uh, it looks it looks really nice. We have a lot of art that's not hung yet. Uh, but, but well done. Congratulations. I do wonder. The original question, when uh, you were raising funds to do this, Matt, did you think about the opportunity to allow someone to give you to, to buy the naming rights for your podcast studio? <laughs> right. The yes. Bill and Melinda Gates Memorial Podcast wow, Studio. Oh, yeah. At St. Mark's. That's so smart. I uh, we just had a church budget meeting. I should have I should have brought that up. The, that should have been my pitch. The Jackson Brown Look, recording you know, studio. I know we've been struggling with finances. I just I but I've got it figured out. Naming rights. <laughs> Naming rights. That has never gone wrong for a church uh, in the history of churches. Uh, so that's... I just want to know, when great. did your contract expire with St. Mark for the naming rights of the church? Uh, are they in perpetuity? <laughs> Is there, like, do you need to renegotiate with St. Mark? I mean, it would have to be uh, like St. The, Mark? the Bill Gates Sanctuary at St. Mark's. You know, like... Oh, those, you're not going to... Like a lot of those kind of deals. Um, yeah. Empower Field at Mile High. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's uh, I think that's how it's got to be. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's nice. Um, uh, a friend of the pod, Tyra, told me it looked like a hotel lobby. So that's um, that's that's fun. I mean, I, I think that's depends on the hotel, but it, that's good. You know, like <laughs> better than if that's like the if that's like the Ace Hotel. Wow, that's really nice. That, uh, that, and super hipster. To, if it's like the best Western outside of town, I mean, it's, it's not that great. <laughs> it's better than than a warehouse. Uh, you know, which is maybe how I decorated it before, and I didn't uh, have, I didn't have any art even in the room at the time. So now I'm figuring out, you know, what that uh, looks like. So we're not actually just uh, rolling in in money to spend. To be clear, dear listeners, we remodeled half our wing, uh, or half of our building for a preschool, in partnership with another organization and with federal grants and all these kind of things. Um, and so since all these contractors are on site, we said. Could we um, hire you to just uh, continue down the hallway and finish off the rest of the offices since you're already on site? Uh, and so it was a great deal. It was much cheaper than if we had tried to do it like three years from now and start from scratch with all the subcontractors and all that kind of stuff. They're already on site, putting floors in, painting walls. Great. Just walk another six feet, do it here. Um, so it worked out. That was why we did it now. Um, and it was sorely needed. This building's 50 years old. And so it's like Wrigley Field uh, getting, a, getting a remodel. You need it every now and then. The video board in the background, on one hand, is helpful, but also makes me regret, you know, yearn for the the, the days of yore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that's yeah. I'll have to think about the video board. Uh, and you know, maybe we'll have to keep the scoreboard where we change out the hymn numbers. Uh, we have to go yeah. behind, you know, the big green hymnal board and change it out. You can't digitally do it. You just gotta. Mm-hmm. That's a challenge, though, because we do, um, instead of projecting, we use one of those signboards. I have to change each letter 
for each verse of the song. For each it's, of it's song. a really it's a it's, slow process. Slow, that's labor intensive. Slow process. That's why your that's why your services take so that's long. That's right. Man. That's that's why they take so long. Yeah. Yeah. I'm Zach Paris. I'm the pastor of Lutheran Campus Ministry here at the University of Hoff, where it's zero degrees and we're not getting above 20 for uh, a week here. Um, but uh, but glad to be with you here. Am I? I'm currently in the middle of some renovations. People care about my my problems. Uh, you know, Matt can see my washer and dryer behind me. Uh, we're going to not have the use of our washer and dryer for like two weeks. And uh, the vinyl spouse who's been working at home is now working from our bedroom because that's the least loud place to be. Um, and as we may have mentioned before, our daughter's preschool closed down for two weeks. So we spent a whole lot of time in a single room together in this house. Um, so things are going great, man. Going great. And we've got a, a growing pile of dirty clothes. Is that your uh, washing machine there behind you? That is. That is. Uh, the washing machine and the dryer tell a, tell a tale that um, would be very familiar to, to those familiar with my personal life. We already had the dryer. It was a Samsung. And we wanted to stack. So yeah. I needed to get a new washer that we could stack our dryer on uh, to make room in our in our small house. And uh, so I did that. did some research on the internet. I bought a conversion kit so that they could stack them. Stack them all up. And they're all so big that when you stack them, they don't like stack directly on top of each other. They're kind of like... One's a little further out than the other. Mm-hmm. And by the time I stacked them all, you know, over $1,000 into this project, uh, I realized that they were going to stick out into the hall. <laughs> so they don't... They are going to stick out in the hall further than if they were not stacked. So... Wow. Such is life. Wow. What do you... What do you well, I guess you... Um, you got to have a front load of that if you're stacking them like that. Yeah. Yeah. I regret it. <laughs> you regret it? <laughs> I regret... Many regrets is what the tattoo says on my neck. What uh, What would you get now then? If you regret it, what would you do differently? What What's the washer, yeah. washers we looking at now? Uh, I would go with the stackable unit, but I would get the stackable unit that clearly like stacks together, and I would sacrifice load capacity mm-hmm. um, that are smaller. But like like you see with cars these days, man, cars have gotten so big, right? Like here in the People's Republic of Boulder. Most people have a Subaru. And I remember what Subarus looked like just 10 years ago when I moved here. And I was like, you could get the Outback or you could get the Forester. Forester's a little bigger. And I was like, Forester looks like it's more my size. These days, a Forester looks like a tank. Like, there's no... They're all huge. There's car size inflation. In the same way there's car size inflation, there is washer-dryer size inflation. They want you to be able to wash to, like... To run a whole football team's jerseys in one load, you know, and and <laughs> let's be honest, there are only three people who wash clothes in my family. The other person doesn't, but um, we don't need that big, you know. And if it takes more loads, it takes more loads. But we won't have a washer dryer that sticks out into the middle of the room. That's good. That's a good plan. That's a good plan. I hear that. Well, speaking of regrets. <laughs> This has been an episode of Washer Dryer. Speaking of regrets. <laughs> is this an episode of Speaking of Regrets? I think it might be. Matt, uh, the Super Bowl was this past weekend. Super Bowl is a big cultural milestone in the monoculture. And oh, no. a part of what this podcast is about is commentating oh, no. on the monoculture. Matt, and there are a couple hot takes that I felt like we needed to get out of the way. Uh, you are 
you have taken the public position as a Bruce Springsteen stan, okay? Oh, yeah. Uh, so we, you have the burden that you've chosen to bear uh, to defend uh, the actions of Bruce in, in any circumstances. And we're going to get to that. I'm going to tease it. We're going to get to that. But I wanted to start with another take first because it's a musical event, really, the Super Bowl, as much as it is an athletic competition. Uh, and I wanted to come after all the people on Facebook who said, who had snarky comments about not knowing who The weekend was. <laughs> and here's what I want to say, Matt. It's okay for you to not know who The weekend is, right? I, I've been there myself. I, uh, as a matter of fact, Matt, I attended a live performance of The weekend at a time when I didn't really know who he was. <laughs> uh, when he was on the main stage at Coachella. I, as I recall, we didn't even stay for that entire performance because Jameer Kawhi was also playing. Why didn't he headline the Super Bowl? I live my life in that regard. There's one small instance with no regrets. I don't regret leaving the weekend to go to the Jameer Kawhi. Didn't like, Snoop Dogg show Dog. up at that too? Yeah, yeah he did. It. it was fantastic. Was worth it. Don't regret it. It was worth it. Um, I'd be more torn about it these days because my daughter's really into the weekend, or at least blinding lights. Uh, but here's the thing: it's okay to not know who the weekend is, right? But there are people who do know who the weekend is. There are people who are really excited about his his performance, right? And just because you didn't know who he was, there's no need for you to publicly say I didn't like it because I didn't know who this person was. There's no need to harsh other people's mellows, right? Like. Don't yuck other people's yums. This podcast has a strong political stance that we are in favor of of things that people are excited about, no matter what that thing is. So you're lukewarm, throwing cold water on people, halftime performance take, all out of ignorance, uh, is bringing the world down, man. So stop bumming people out and, like... You want to complain about trolls on, on, on the internet? Don't be a troll. Hey, amen. Hey, amen to that. Amen to that. I don't think I have I was kind of excited to see it. I thought it was fine. I didn't think it was amazing. I was more upset by people who said, I don't even know who this is. <laughs> I don't think I had anyone on my feed that, that said that, but I would have been... Uh, I saw a lot of it. ...completely in your, your camp on that. Yeah, uh... Yeah, because if you want somebody everybody knows, you got to dig up a skeleton and you out of the out of the graveyard, and you got to roll. I don't know the Rolling Stones. It's like somebody everybody knows, like who's tired and and over the hill, like Bruce Springsteen. Oh no! Oh no! Shots fired! It's my shots my fired. Transition. Although uh, about ten years ago, Springsteen did perform at the Super Bowl, and it was fantastic. Uh, so I, I will stand by that. He was he was good. He was good. I mean, that's the problem, though. You're either going to go really old, or you're going to go uh, one of those weird Grammy collabs that never works. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just never work. <laughs> Unless it was you two and Kendrick Lamar, and then it would work perfectly. Uh, just seamless. <laughs> Absolutely seamless. Uh, I didn't even see it. I didn't even. I didn't even. I didn't watch anything of the Super Bowl this year. Didn't, didn't watch any of it. Uh, but then I heard later that. Or I guess I heard that Springsteen had his ad, so then I had to go uh, watch watch that. So that was about all that I that I saw. I think. I'm trying to think if there's anything else I saw. I do remember. I remember the weekend. Uh, I did know who the weekend is because uh, friend of the pod, Kevin Sunrise and Ron, and I saw the weekend in 2015 at Coachella when he who did he open? He like opened for someone. It was very or. I don't remember, but he wasn't like the headliner. He was like the just sub headliner. 
and he owned the stage. Like it was, we were like, who is this? That was the time we were like, who is this person? But it wasn't like, oh, who is this person? We were like, who is this person? Uh, he's mm-hmm. going places. Uh, and he even brought out Kanye West for like a song. And we're like, okay, you clearly, this this person is uh, is moving up. But then by the time that he did headline, uh, and you and I went, we didn't care anymore. <laughs> so we moved on. <laughs> but the weekend is good. The weekend is, is all right. Um, yeah, you want me to defend Springsteen, huh? Well, I think I don't, I don't care, Matt, uh, but I think the listeners certainly, you know, we had a Bruce Emergency pod a couple months ago. I know. Yeah. Yeah, we could get Rick. You got to, we could get, in the words of Jalen Rose, you got to give the people what they want. We could get Rick on to talk about it, but I don't think either one of us would have uh, anything very exciting to say. So my reaction was uh, I watched the Springsteen ad and I thought, Huh, that's that wasn't his best work. <laughs> that was my main reaction. Huh, uh, not his not his best work. He's had so, he's done so many. I mean, this man has had like a fifty year career, uh, and has just put out so much good work into the world. Not only like objectively great art, um, but also like um, has said interesting things uh, about America. I mean, even. The song "Born in the USA" much maligned feels like a fist pumping patriotic anthem. You read the word, you read the lyrics, uh, and it's the song of this Vietnam vet coming home, uh, trying to make sense of who he is. I mean, this is like this is great American art, you know. That is really he gives you the old hey ya with uh, "Born in the USA." Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, he's just. So he's, and he's put out a lot of stuff. You think about the Ghost of Tom Joad album uh, in the 90s. Um, just has done some real countercultural things uh, at different moments. Even The Rising, also an album that you think, oh, patriotic, rah-rah after September 11th. Um, and yet uh, he's got a song on there with uh, singing in Arabic uh, called Worlds Apart. He's got a song from the perspective of a terrorist trying to make sense of what would possess somebody to do this this thing um, and so it's a much more complex and layered album than you would think and that is usually how Springsteen's work is you think it's one thing uh, and it's usually much more um, complex and, and layered um, and I imagine I'm going to give him the benefit of that and say that was going on uh, underneath uh, in his own head but what came out was just it was like it was this is the first time I'm saying this that I just thought of this it's like Born in the USA but without the verses is kind of what it felt like it was like mm. here's this is a fine mm-hmm. like you know, common yeah. ground. Great, great. But usually what Springsteen would do in a song is to complicate that uh, in the verses. Um, still have it as like a thing around which we can gather, but would give you some complexity. And I felt like we just didn't get that uh, that complexity. Uh, I know a lot of people want to go off with think pieces uh, about the middle. I guess, uh, what is my thought? I don't know. I'd like to be able to defend him, but <laughs> it's just... It just uh, wasn't his best work. I mean, I do think, like, the I do, um, I sympathize with the problem of having these two extremes and feeling like they're, like, there's a real extremism in the country and that makes things really challenging. That does seem like a legitimate problem, but it does not seem like the solution is meeting in some amorphous middle, right? It feels like there's got to be some other... Like, if he had done Common Ground or something and, like, done something interesting about that, like, that almost would be a better image than the mm. middle. Because uh, the middle yeah. itself has no moral weight, I don't I don't think. Um, particularly when... Um, yeah, I just... I, I think that's true. Um, 
So that's that's all I got. <laughs> <laughs> but I love Bruce, and I wish he would have just put out a like just. He's a song or something. Like, he's just got, he's great. His biography. Go read if you want to listen to Bruce's voice. Uh, that gravelly, uh, <laughs> older white male Americana voice. <laughs> Go listen to his 20-hour autobiography that he put out four years ago, which is an excellent. It's very well reviewed. Just an excellent autobiography, thoughtful, and he reads it himself. Go listen to that uh, instead of the commercial. I think, I mean, I think that's the part that the only uh, interesting thing I have to add to it, right, is to say, one, right, as an artist, acts of art don't always work out, right? Uh, You know, sometimes it's uh, new adventures in hi-fi, right? It just, (laughs) which has great stuff on it, right? But it didn't work out. Um, Sometimes it flops, And that if we are looking, I think it's just really important to remember that it was an advertisement, right? The goal of that spot was to sell Jeeps. And so maybe we shouldn't look to television advertisement for for the highest form of art. And that that's the like, they went with the middle in part because the middle is so inoffensive and that the middle was the best thing, not because the middle is, is an actual path forward, because I'm going to go out on a limb here and say the Daimler Chrysler Corporation doesn't care that much about the dinner and tone of American politics as much as they care about you buying a Jeep. Uh, and they thought that that was the best thing to help them uh, sell Jeeps. You know, like, this was about selling Jeeps. Like, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are, there are moments when... Um a commercial can transcend that. And I think that's what they're trying to do is like take a swing. I remember like, I don't know if it was an ad. I want to say it was like an ad for Coca-Cola probably. And it was like, I don't know if it was the Star Spangled Banner or America the Beautiful or the Pledge of Elite. It couldn't have been the Pledge. It must have been a song like America the Beautiful. It was probably America the Beautiful. And they had like people of all different races and also all different, like different languages, like singing a song. Um, with images of America, right? But you got this sense of, like, very, very different people occupying the same, like, national community. And then it's an ad for Coke, right? It's still selling Coke. And yet, like, you can see it and you'd be like, yeah, no, this is, like, this is a little bit, like, okay, you're giving us, you're giving us something. I feel like if, I feel like that's the kind of thing that could, like, um, you know, meet the moment, transcend a little bit. Like, that's what I would pick more than the middle. There are ways to do it, I think. Um, to swing for the fences, but also, like you said, you, sometimes you swing for the fences, you swing and you whiff. <laughs> I feel like it was just, it's just a, it's just a whiff. I think it's unfortunate because uh, uh, it's. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I don't know what it. I, yeah, I don't know what it means. Um, it's unfortunate to do it on a stage like that because it seems like nobody talks about Bruce Springsteen at all until you hear this. Here's this mm-hmm. ad. Uh, so that's that's unfortunate. Um, but the same thing has happened to uh, my other favorite artist in recent years uh, where their primary splash was something embarrassing. Uh, so <laughs> I just, I'm used to it. I'm used to it. Well, Matt, I'd like to take a little bit of the heat off of Bruce, off of you two, um, and point it on the children's television workshop because I don't think they got nearly enough grief 
for all the Bruce Springsteen pieces, think pieces we saw, right, about how the middle and and you make a great compelling point towards I like that that dichotomy of, of common common ground versus the middle. Um, but why is Sesame Street trying to get you to use DoorDash? That was the commercial that was the most offensive commercial I saw, right? Like, I've got a good relationship with my local Mexican place. Pika's, mm-hmm. uh, uh, they're, they're really fun. Uh, in, the, in the free, like, weekly, they've consistently been ranked the second best Mexican restaurant. And so they have a ton of, like, merchandise that says we're the second best Mexican restaurant. Uh, they've really, like, leaned into it, El Segundo. Uh, and so, uh, so I love them. And they hate DoorDash so much uh, because DoorDash, they have had really negative experiences with them. They don't like officially work with them in any capacity and have tried to like shut it down, but they take all of the profit and stuff, right? Like DoorDash is a horrible parasitic uh, disruptor, send all of the profits to some tech bro uh, company. And David Diggs, who I've come to enjoy recently because I'm, I've been into Snowpiercer, but for some people, am I recognizing from the original cast of Hamilton? Uh, and Sesame Street are out there encouraging you to undercut your local businesses. Uh, more think pieces, please, on the complete... What's the word I'm looking for here, Matt? The opposite of, of, of sacralization. Um, desecration of the, the lovable uh, residents of Sesame Street. Everybody's going after Bruce. Nobody's going after Big Bird. I mean, man. I just... Yeah. Big Bird had it coming. You would, you would think that Oscar would have been able to just uh, say something about that. Usually he'd have a dollop, but no, nothing. Uh, yeah, nothing. no, that's wrong. I mean, Sesame Street has a long history of... Um, I mean, Sesame Street basically created their merchandise to fund their public television program. Like, this is like their model of, of business. Uh, maybe DoorDash is a step uh, beyond that. Uh, uh, but it's interesting. Although now they have HBO money. So it seems odd that if you have HBO money, you need to do that anymore, right? They, 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 they kind of they right. already made their deal with the devil. It feels like you don't need to deal with two devils. <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> Well, Matt, speaking of desecration, uh, let's read the sanitized uh, story that comes to us from the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. Fantastic. Oh, we're going to do this in Sunday school this week. Uh, Chris is teaching. Uh, First Sunday in Lent. Is this Lent? (laughs) If I could stop there for one second. I am really excited about Chris, who, uh, who, who I love, first of all. But two, if you go to like ratemyprofessor.com, uh, you can, which I do from time to time for fun. Uh, Chris can be, has a somewhat of a reputation, I hear, of being a bit of a downer as a history professor because of her high integrity, really, right? Like, we're not glossing over the bad parts of history. Uh, so I am looking forward to Chris's not skipping over or glossing over the, the, the horrible parts of this story in Sunday school this week. I'll be watching on Facebook. <laughs> well,. See how that goes. Not Sunday school, not at Facebook. Only in the Zoom room. It's, uh, it's a Zoom exclusive. You got to be a Patreon subscriber. Got a Patreon St. Mark's, Mark's subscriber. Uh, brought to you get, by the Melinda Gates that one. Foundation. Yeah, I mean, you know, she. Uh, that's that's a very good point. Um, but she uh, was. I don't know. I haven't seen the video. We've been using the Holy Moly Sparkhouse resources. Sparkhouse. That's right. Uh, come support us. Uh, I've also been. I don't think they will. I, it'll be interesting to see what they uh, what they do. Uh, this is the f- 
First week of Lent, is that yeah. right? Yeah. Huh. Welcome to Lent. Well, I'm starting oh. something fun, Matt. I'm doing a seasonally appropriate thing that I thought I would what share with the listeners. We are, so, um, historically we have a semester-long commitment for, um, for a leadership group. Uh, and they get a stipend uh, right now for, for that. Uh, the semester, though, is, is incredibly long at the moment. And the ability at the beginning of January to imagine what May will look like uh, was a thing far beyond us. And so we thought, hey, let's divide this thing up into more uh, more uh, uh, appetizing chunks. So we did student preaching for six weeks. And now we're about to enter another six-week uh, short course, I'm calling it. And we're doing one called Why Christianity? Uh, that our group right now is not very religious, right? That like the religious part of stuff is not why they're connected to our community. And yet they've chosen to connect to a community that is religious. So it's a particular space where we're hoping to do, um, to kind of break things down and build, start to build back up as much as we can to do a kind of living thing. So I'm excited about it. I've got eight students, so I've got to find a little extra money, but I'm sure it'll work out. Uh, and uh, we're going to take things apart and put things back together for Lent. And it starts, you know, this week. Fantastic. That, uh, that sounds super exciting. Why Christianity? Yeah. What do you, why this thing? What's the answer? Uh... Why not? <laughs> Might as well. You're here. Excellent. Excellent answer. Mm-hmm. Excellent answer. Well, I guess we should dive into Lent. Dive on into these empty forms. You know, years ago we had uh, Bishop Satterley on to introduce us to Lent. This year it's just us. Bishop Doctor. Just us. Just us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What well, better song recommendations? So, <laughs> oh, reading from Genesis, Genesis nine eight to seventeen, God said to Noah and his sons with him, "As for me, I am establishing my covenant with you and your descendants after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the domestic animals, and every animal of the earth with you, as many." as came out of the ark, as many as you can fit in children's art uh, and books and centuries to come. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of a flood. And never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you. And for all future generations, I have set my bow in the clouds and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Word of God. All flesh. Word of life. Text that is not repetitive uh, at all. Uh, and God <laughs> really wants you to hear this thing. So, uh, what do you think? What do you got, Zach? I mean, I think folks are pretty excited about children's sermons for this week. But 
there's some issues here, right? We have some selective editing. The uh, we are no longer semi-continuous in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew reading for Sunday. So you just get this part, and we cut out the part where God destroyed everything else, murder, epic desolation, uh, natural disasters, flood. Uh, everything else is is destroyed except that which is on the ark. So like. Yeah, that's a super bummer that we don't... My joke that I've probably said on the podcast numerous times, right, is I would like to see the nursery that has the ark painted on one side and then on the other side... Uh, I mean, you could do this in your office, I suppose. Uh, the destroyed remains of all of creation. Um, so there's a lot... It's not all rainbows and sunshines here. And in fact, speaking of, of, of rainbows, uh, I mean, I really, I don't think I learned this when I was in seminary, uh, that... The rainbow is literally a weapon. Yeah, it's a bow, like in like an archery, right? Like, and it, it hangs in the sky almost like a threat, right? Like, like it gets cast here, and and, it, and it, I think, I think the transformation happens, right? That it's a sign of a promise, but it's 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 cross like it's very cross like, mm. right? It's uh, it's it, in some ways I think the rainbow, you know, it can be a, a better more clearly communicated symbol than the cross. But it's this weapon that's hung up in the sky as a sign that God promises not to do this again. But God definitely did it one time. Um, yep, I definitely was seminary years old when I when I learned that. Uh, and now it always reminds me of uh, when I was a kid and we would, I know I've told this story before, but I'm just going to keep telling it because every three years I get to tell it, uh, <laughs> is that when I was a kid, we used to... Uh, we used to have super soakers and use them in the neighborhood every summer. And we'd always like compete. The neighboring kids would compete. Which super soaker did you I have? Know. Do you have the 150, the green and yellow? I mean, probably that's where it started, you know? And then and then some kid down the street mm-hmm. got one with the double, yeah. you know, with like a bigger barrel, the double right? Because like, there were so many different kinds. And finally, mm-hmm. my dad went out. The one with the strap was way over the that's top. That's what I mean. So my dad goes out. He sees all the kids doing this. And he goes out and buys the double barreled one with the strap. He gets the biggest oh. one he can find. And you know what he does with it? He hangs it over the fireplace. And it just hangs there all <laughs> summer. <laughs> like hanging his bow in the clouds. <laughs> I don't think I've heard this story. <laughs> I would never forget the, this giant super soaker hanging over the fireplace one summer. <laughs> but that's what he did. That's what he did. And it is very much like God setting God's bow in the clouds just to remind you did he ever take it down did he ever take it off the wall I don't really remember him using it like I remember us asking him if we could use it you know Um, Mm -hmm. which eventually we probably did but uh, yeah I just and I remember him telling saying like I'm gonna do you know what I'm gonna do I'm gonna go out and get the biggest one I can find and I'm gonna hang it up and he did it (laughs) he actually did it (laughs) just to remind us all who was really boss just just like God in Genesis Well, no, so here's the thing about this text that I do like, right? One of my favorite images of God, there are many different images of of God and God, of God, of Job and God, uh, God, uh, George O. Bluth, God. Um, There are many different images of God in the scriptures. And I really like this version that you find a lot of in Genesis where God isn't the sharpest tool in the shed, right? (laughs) God has some difficulty remembering things. Uh, actually, I think it's in Jeremiah. The one that I normally like, um, that normally triggers this for me is when God says, I'll, "I will remember their sin no more." Uh, not, "I won't count it." I'm just going to completely forget. But here, the symbol, if you read it carefully, is not for us, yeah. uh, which is the way the children's sermon normally goes. If the symbol is for God, because God might forget that I'm not supposed to do this. This is a, help, a thing, a helpful thing for me to remember. 
Um, and, and that's, I mean, I think that's the other take that I would, I would go with with this text, is that God is, is participating uh, in the redemption that is this story. God has screwed up, um, which is not a thing folks normally hear from the pulpit. Um, and so that for all the, the great baptismal imagery that comes here at the end of, of, of Noah, God is participating in that um, and that God needs a sign is what that rainbow is about. Amen. Amen. Well, I think, yeah, I really, I like that. I especially like, um, I mean, God needs a sign. The sign, and it's important to remember that, like, God sees this sign, and yet it's this, it's this thing that we can see, too. I mean, a lot of, like, you know, clearly modern scholars will say, there's some fancy word for this that I can't never remember the vocab word, but, like, you know, this is to explain why we see rainbows, right? We have these folk tales that do that. And so mm-hmm. here's the sign to explain rainbows. Um, but it also turns this thing that we can see sometimes into this reassuring symbol. And of course, it's like more complicated than that. But it's still that we, there's still this idea that we need reassuring symbols, that we can see a symbol and be reminded of something that we should be reminded of. I mean, we have symbols in churches, you know, even seeing a cross. What is it? What is, what is the cross there to do today? Um, does it remind mm-hmm. us of, of who God is, of what God has promised? Um, these reassuring symbols matter. And so it's, it's a really interesting thing, too, to begin Lent um, with a symbol. Um, and maybe we began Lent on Ash Wednesday with the symbol of the crosses. Now here's another symbol. It'd be interesting to carry symbols um, throughout, uh, throughout the season of Lent. I've got the children's sermon yeah. now. So you come out. I mean, just go with me. Imagine you could gather in person. Uh and take two giant symbols and smash them together repeatedly, and then that's the joke. That's the joke. Is that it's all about symbols. All about symbols. But you, you kind of mixed it up, and it's wow. That's that's what you could that's what you could do, uh, dear mm-hmm. dear listeners. I mean, I will. So uh, in in this story's defense, so we complicated it. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to bring it full circle a little bit. I I do think there's still. Um, real value in in some of the ways that we read this story. I mean, the fact that it lists every living creature that is with you, the birds, the domestic animals, every animal of the earth with you. This is a story that takes animals seriously, even if it uh, destroys mm-hmm. them at one point. Then it also includes mm-hmm. them in the promise, uh, which is a really... It's a promise for all yeah. flesh. Include... Not just humans. Yeah. 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 And so it does have something to say um, for the way that we see the world um, ecologically. And even when we think about the um, the coming, the already arrived uh, disaster of climate change, uh, and how you might relate to this text, I mean, in some ways, uh, it's not God's fault anymore. <laughs> God said, "I'm not going to do that," mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean that we can't uh, destroy the earth. And I think that uh, that that too is like you know the different ways that we might take apart the these. Um, these folk tales, but that we today we might also come come at it with that because that too gets used in some really um, gets misused in a lot of ways too. This idea that God is punishing us with this or that natural disaster, mm-hmm. and this says no, that's not what these natural disasters are. Um, we can do that to ourselves and to one another, but God's promised not to do that. So God's <laughs> this, this isn't on God uh, any anymore. Um, and I and I do think uh, as much as it's a. <laughs> It's definitely a more complex Sunday school story. It's, it's like the verse chorus thing again, right? Like you got to learn the, the chorus. You got to learn the broad stroke and then you're going to get in confirmation. We're going to mm-hmm. complicate it for you a little bit. And then you're going to go to seminary. Like all of uh, your Sunday school students are going to go to seminary. 
And then it's going to get really complicated for them, and then they'll have to bring it back around full circle mm-hmm. and figure out how to find good news in it and preach it. Uh, and so it's this, it's this ongoing story, but you've got to start somewhere. Uh, and so I'm good with my kids starting somewhere. You know, starting somewhere. Yeah. You forgot the part where you go to a six-week short course called Why Christianity <laughs> okay, and receive well, a small stipend at the end of it. <laughs> uh, I like that, that, that I hear rhythms, cycles, Matt, because I think rhythms and cycles are an important thing to pay attention to as we get uh, into our Mark reading. Uh, it starts Mark verse uh, 9 of that first chapter. We've only missed... Um, the little vignette about John the baptizer dressed in camel's hair, eating honey and locust out in the wilderness, proclaiming the one who is to come. Uh, and so that sets the stage for when in those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan, way out there in the wilderness. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descending like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved with you, I am well pleased. And then... The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for 40 days, tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild beasts, and the angels served him. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of John, of God, saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. This, in fact, just the proclamation of the good news is the good news of the Lord. Amazing. It's your favorite. We get uh, the baptism again. We get John the Baptist again. Finally, we get a baptism of Jesus story. We get this, these verses this for the third time in uh, three months. We get a lot of it. Um, got a couple takes here, man. Uh, one, uh, we get the big voice that booms from heaven that says, You are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. Um, don't let... Uh, the fact that you can't read the first eight verses uh, hide from you. The fact that Jesus has just shown up, and this is the first appearance, men- like appearance of Jesus at all. Jesus has done literally nothing. He has the worst resume in the world. Uh, this is even worse than a resume of Matthew. He's just a guy who wandered from this tiny town out to this place in the middle of nowhere and got dunked underwater by a crazy person. And the heavens open and say, this is the this is the one. This is the one with whom I'm well pleased. Um, we've gotten we've talked about how you what you can translate and what doesn't translate on the zooms and stuff. Uh, one of the things that, that I think would be pretty hard, that a reality that we've come up with is uh, or a reality of the church is that any Christian can baptize another Christian. You don't have to be ordained to do that, even though it might be the the, the rules and regulations of our church, but it doesn't. We don't not re- we don't only recognize double negative. We we recognize uh, baptism by lay people, but you can't baptize yourself, and so it is a it is a fully passive act. Uh, and so you get you get that picture here. Jesus doesn't uh, confess anything. He doesn't answer the questions. He just gets dunked by this dude. Um, so this completely passive act is is looked upon with great favor. Um, the other thing I think I would say, well, and I've said this before, and it's set up here, that rhythm, that cycle of being in the wilderness and being in towns is set up, and that continues throughout the whole, all the way until we get to Jerusalem in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, but the other thing I'd say is that the angels waited on them, uh, on him while he was in the wilderness. It's um, diaconon, right? Like diaconal. Uh, and so the only other time that ver, that word gets used in 
uh, the Gospel of Mark is in regards to Mary and Martha and the like them washing Jesus' feet that they served him. Uh, and then it references uh, Mary Magdalene, Mary Mother of James and Salome at the, at the crucifixion. Uh, so the point that I might draw squeeze out of that here is that women are the only people in the Gospel of Mark who do the work of angels. Uh, you've got angels doing the work and then you've got the women doing it. Um, if you recall, the disciples run from the cross and then they get super pissy about when you wash Jesus' feet. Amen. Good, good catch. That's really good. Yeah, it's amazing. We don't get a lot of uh, detail about the wilderness this time. Some of the other Gospels, we get uh, mm -hmm. the three, you get the little triptych of the three temptations. You get a lot of detail. You could unpack all that in your Lent one sermon. Nope. Just He's just tempted. No. We don't know what it looked like. It just, it's so short. This is so short. <laughs> It's so short, and there's so, but there, there's so yeah. much here too, right? Like, like there are three episodes basically, yeah. or at least. Th I mean, and it references like John getting arrested, and so you've got like the possibility of like this whole like. There are so many very different ways that you could go with this. I don't know how well you could preach. Like, it's so short, and yet I don't know if you could. It would take a lot of work to preach this whole text like cohesively, sure. and not like miss everything in twelve minutes. It's true. The most the thing you should start trying to do, preacher, right, is to pick one of the three or four uh, and go in that direction and then like towards the, it'd be one of those things at the end where you like oh, I should talk about this too and you kind of like throw a line in that like kind of like s demonstrates that there's like some consistency here but that, that that also is a thing that's really helpful about Mark and, and maybe I think this because it's the only book of the Bible that I've really have like studied on a more holistic level post-seminary um, is that it is small and compact but it is incredibly like consistent um, and and I think it's pretty pretty easy to see the zoomed out part like and to to see how the pieces fit together because everything in this reading is nothing in this reading nothing in Mark is isolated mm. from the whole there's not like not that there's anything wrong with like pieces that are thrown in like this is why we and so that's why the the if we call it the Jabak or whatever, because this is the place where Jacob's we don't have any of those kind of conventions that get kind of stuck in there. Uh, it's a whole thing and it fits together. Yeah, it it is a whole thing and it fits together. I like that a lot. And and like you said, there is so much and so little. It was reminding me of uh, big fan of uh, Marvel movie sack. Big fan of the Avengers. Been listening to binge hmm. mode. They've been talking about... I've been watching Th Thor right now. <laughs> Which one? The I'm first on movie one? number three. The first one, I'm trying to like... Because I was late to it. And I don't remember what I actually saw. <laughs> you know? Because I, I don't want to step anybody's toes here. The Avengers stuff can be a little repetitive because it's the same characters over and over yes. again. So you're like, surely I saw the first one of these. And I did not, it turns out, see the first Avengers movie. I mean, that's incredible uh, statement right there. Uh, I mean, one of the things that I found so valuable about uh, the binge mode analysis, uh, Jason Concepcion is talking about the, like, the genre of storytelling, the way the storytelling works. It's like, if you, you might hate these conventions, but these are like the conventions of the genre. Like, this is how it works. And so then mm -hmm. you do like things within that genre. And that is how a lot of these biblical texts work too. It's like, this is a particular yeah. genre. And so then it works in a certain way. But the thing I was thinking uh, was in Endgame, when Endgame begins, and it says, uh, you know, they have this thing with where Thor features, and they cut a Thanos' head, and then it cuts, and you see it says five years <laughs> later, and it comes up so slow, and you have no idea what's, like, five what? Like, weeks? Days? Five days later? Five hours later? No, it's five years 
late, and it's just like the the collective gasp in the audience that that happened. And I think about that in, in like even versus like just verse thirteen here, for example, which we said like we don't get the whole long story, and yet he's in the wilderness forty days, and all. So then you immediately think all the like all the references that are coming with that tempted by Satan. Okay, where have we gotten like Satan? But like we're thinking about Job. We're thinking about like oh like where are these? Where has this tempter mm-hmm. like showed up before? He was with the wild beasts, and maybe that's just you know he's out there in the wilderness. There's animals out there, but um, you know it's also this. You, you think about Daniel with the wild beasts coming up out of the water. Like what is all this kind of imagery, Old Testament imagery, and the angels waited on him. Like each of these little, just very little clauses, like the weight that each one of them carries. It's a lot going on in just a few words, for sure. And I think that's the thing that I would encourage you preachers and that I hope we're able to accomplish on some level in my Why Christian class is is also to say that in the Gospels, we have the tension, we have the, the we can be tempted to conflate the different accounts, um, right? So we don't have the part where in the wilderness Jesus was tempted three times here in Mark. And so to recognize that the, there, there, there's, there's blank space between these lines. Um, and we might be tempted to think, oh, we can only fill them in with stuff that came from the other Gospels. Uh, or, they, or even that we should. But to acknowledge, to recognize that there is, there's blank space in here. You can do whatever. I mean, <laughs> it's not exactly what I want to say, right? But that's, that's in play. Right, like like you just did, where you filled in all that blank space with stuff not in the Gospels at all. Um, there's a lot of space for creativity and exploration, um, and so in that same sort of way, I hope that what happens in the Why Christianity class is that we do a little bit of teaching about the genre to give them like, here's this thing that you thought was set and finished, but it actually turns out there's a lot of blank space here. And that a part of this whole religious thing is that you're supposed to, like, run with this. Um, so hopefully giving folks tools to feel empowered to do that. But Amen, which is a very marking approach. Like, even the way the gospel is going to end, spoiler alert, when we get to Easter, invites you to fill in the space. Mm-hmm. Well, Matt, outside of just putting that Bruce Springsteen Daimler Chrysler commercial on repeat, what are you uh, listening to? Uh, Springsteen, of course. Gonna defend him. <laughs> good. Uh, good. Good. Just with this Noah uh, story, I, I can't help but think of uh, the Seeger sessions uh, when he covered uh, the old classic, Oh Mary, Don't You Weep. Uh, God gave Noah the rainbow sign, no more water, but fire next time, which is not actually in this text. <laughs> the fire next time. Yeah. Uh, but that God gave Noah the rainbow sign. I can never read this text again without hearing that line. God gave Noah the rainbow sign. Um, and so, so there it is. No, Mary, don't you weep. Uh, Bruce Springsteen, a classic African-American spiritual, even referenced by James Baldwin in the fire next time. Hey. Um, and then, uh, some new releases, uh, Mavis Staples put out a, a remix of her song, One More Change, uh, on her recent album. So I'll, I'll throw that on there as well as we're thinking about Lent, uh, and the change that God is going to do with us as we... Prepare for baptism. Prepare to remember our baptisms. Enter into this season. Their baptismal waters. That's what I'm going to be listening to. That's what I got. I like it. I like it. 
Matt, I, uh, you know, there's lots of good stuff out there for this week. I'm going to lead with uh, the title track off of Kesha's comeback album, Rainbow. Uh, came out, I believe, in 2017 after she went through all the, cr- like, horribleness with her label uh, and, and all the terrible stuff. Uh, so, fittingly, uh, the album... And this track is called Rainbow, so check that out. Then uh, can't help but um, but wonder, Matt. In the, the wilderness, Jesus was there with Satan, where he was tempted. I wonder what it was that he was tempted with, because that's blank space. right? We don't mm-hmm. get that on top of the, the rock, look at all the kingdoms of the world. I wonder if perhaps Jesus was tempted by, say, the fruit of another. Uh, so I'm going with tempted by sting. <laughs> Incredible. Dipped by the fruit of another. And finally, Matt, um, this song, uh, I am putting uh, I Will Wait For You by Mumford and Sons. It's an incredible video. What a great video. Uh, but I will wait. I will wait for you. Uh, which connects to this uh, reading in a way that I had figured out when I put it into the Google Doc a couple days ago. Uh, I don't know why I put it on. I did waiting songs. Um, well, the, I think the it angels fits. waited on him. Oh, well, wait on him. Yeah, there you mm-hmm. go. Boom. That's what they were singing. Yep. See? That's what they were singing. That's what they were singing. I will wait yep. on you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I will wait. I, hopefully, you know. Uh, Andy, what's his name, from The Office was there, Waiting on Jesus, um, and all the, the great cameos that are in uh, in that music video. Amazing. I don't think I've seen it. I'm going to have to go watch it now. Also, Matt, so we know the Vinyl Preacher is a bit of a, has a king-making reputation. Mm-hmm. We turn regular pastors into bishops all, all the, the time. time. I did not know our power was so great. Uh, last week's episode, Matt, of course, featured heavily a reference to Eleanor Rigby. The Beatles song, and uh, my wife and I recently started receiving the physical paper. And one of the benefits is we sat down together this week and did the New York Times crossword puzzle together, rather than on our phones, which was really fun. And uh, one of the clues, Eleanor Rigby, was one of the answers this week. <laughs> Will Shorts, who uh, you know of Bloomington, Indiana, is a listener. Turns out, wow, wow, yeah, went to uh, Indiana University. Had his. <laughs> Created his own degree in like puzzleology. <laughs> Amazing. Obviously. Well, shout out to you, Will. Thanks for listening. Well, it's been real. Real. Oh, I know.